0: Australia Explained, keeping you on top of all things down under. In this episode of Australia Explained, we'll be covering offshore detention, what it is, why we do it, and at what cost.
1: Hello everyone, my name is Tanya Ragusa.
0: And I'm Vanessa DiGracia.
1: And welcome to another episode of Australia Explained. We'd like to start, as always, by acknowledging that we're recording this podcast on the lands of the Wurundjeri people of the Kulin Nation, and we pay our respects to their elders, past, present, and future.
0: So last week, we broke down what an asylum seeker is, you know, what they're entitled to, some of the myths around it. So if you missed that one, please go and listen. Yeah. But for this week, we'll be talking about offshore detention. So Tan, where does it fit into all of this? What kind of people are held in these places, and why are they there?
1: So offshore detention simply means that asylum seekers are held in detention centres that are not on Australian territory, so off Australian shores. One you've probably heard of is Manus Island, it's part of Papua New Guinea, and Nauru, which is a small country in the Pacific. They were used to house asylum seekers in the early 2000s under Liberal Prime Minister John Howard's Pacific Solution, but the Labor government resumed using them in 2012
0: And as we touched on last week, by 2013, every asylum seeker who arrived by boat was either turned back or sent to one of these centres while the government tried to find another country to send them to. So the last person sent to offshore detention was in December 2014 when the law was amended so that the government could turn back boats regardless of whether the original country agreed to accept them or not. So there are over 400 people held in offshore detention to this day. So these people have been there for a minimum of six years. Mm.
1: And we touched on this last week, but the reason why we use offshore detention centres is based on our asylum seeker policy, um, which says if you arrive in Australia by boat, you will never settle on Australian land. It's meant to be a deterrent to stop people coming by boat. But a lot of people are left wondering, what's the difference between arriving by boat versus arriving by plane?
0: And nobody can say the deterrent hasn't worked. I mean, people have stopped mm. arriving by boat. But honestly, the question, the answer to that question depends on who you're talking to. So asylum seeker advocacy organisations argue that demonisation of boat people is simply a easy way to package up all the country's racism and xenophobia and target at a group of very vulnerable people. After all, boat people have been arriving in Australia for decades. I mean, even our grandparents were boat people. Yeah,
1: and and the first fleet.
0: And the first fleet. (laughs) Um, But it only really became a media issue when this idea that Australia had to be protected resurfaced after decades of embracing multiculturalism. Like when Pauline Hanson's One Nation started this dialogue about race and immigration.
1: Yeah, and like I said last week, she seems to target a different ethnic group every decade. The federal government, on the other hand, both Labor under Rudd and Gillard and Liberal under Abbott, Turnbull and now Morrison, argue that arriving by boat is just too dangerous. Um, Many asylum seekers have died during the journey in drownings or crashes. They also believe it gives incentive to the human trafficking industry as people smugglers who bring in these asylum seekers usually charge huge amounts of money.
0: Yeah, nobody can deny that it is extremely dangerous. Both are very valid arguments. However, the latter position was brought down just a few notches in twenty fifteen when the United Nations um, refugee agency corroborated claims that the Abbott government had allegedly paid people smugglers to turn back to Indonesia. So a little bit doing the dirty work for them. <laughs> exactly.
1: So what are the living conditions like in these detention centres?
0: Well, in summary, they're not great. <laughs> mm. um, these places are tiny tropical islands and asylum seekers are housed there in either vinyl tents or like little rooms. Um, like we said, they've been there for a minimum of six years and it depends on varying on the center and the situation, but they operated much like prisons. You know, there's guards, strict schedules, little personal freedom, crappy food. Um, They're pretty dangerous environments in themselves, such as in 2017, a group of drunken soldiers shot up the Manus Island facility. Um, There's been a bunch of high profile protests about treatment, including a 2014 riot where an asylum seeker named Reza Barati was murdered by two men, and one of which was actually a guard.
1: Yeah, so unfortunate. Also, recently, some of you may have heard in the news about the mobile phone ban. So asylum seekers in detention weren't allowed mobile phones until 2018, when a federal court ruled it illegal for them not to have mobile phones. But now, in September, the coalition has tried to bring it back.
0: Yeah just to clarify when we say the coalition we mean it's two parties that agree to work together to govern the country so the liberal government doesn't actually govern australia it's a coalition of the liberal party and the national party which is also known as the country party and yeah. um, they've ruled together since the 1920s so just had to throw that in there
1: yeah so whenever we refer whenever we refer to the coalition it's the liberals and nationals together yeah but luckily the coalition's attempt to bring back the mobile phone ban, was failed by Senator Jackie Lambie, who voted against it after polling her voters, which is an awesome sign of democracy in action.
0: Yeah, really, really great. Love that one. Um, Incidents of assault, sexual assault and self-harm are rampant in offshore detention and sadly even more so for children. So over half of all reported incidents involved children And an inquiry into these children living in detention also found that they have significantly higher rates of mental health issues and were repeatedly denied access to education. And as you can guess, the Aussie public was not too happy about all of this. I think there's a limit to the bad treatment of asylum seekers that we could take. And there was a wave of public outrage. And it took the government four years. But in 2019, the last child was removed from offshore detention.
1: Hmm. And a lack of access to medical care has always been a huge topic when it comes to these centres, and it really came to a head in 2014 when an asylum seeker died after being denied treatment. In 2019, a bill called Medivac was introduced that would allow asylum seekers that needed urgent medical care to come to Australia, but this bill is currently in the process of being repealed, and there's some drama happening with it at the moment, but we're going to speak about that later.
0: Media coverage um, in these detention centres is pretty scarce because only a handful of journalists are allowed in. Um, Theoretically, there is a media visa, but they're really specific about who gets them. And publications such as The Guardian have been refused any access. So most of what we do know comes from information being leaked out by asylum seekers themselves and the statistics that the government is legally required to report, but it's not that much.
1: Yeah. And... For these reasons, the United Nations has openly criticised the Australian government for its handling of asylum seekers. They've made it very clear that our detention policies are illegal.
0: So the government stopped sending people into offshore detention six years ago. What are they doing with all the people that are living there?
1: Well, given we will never let them settle in Australia, we've tried to make deals with a bunch of countries to take on these refugees. So one of these these countries has been Cambodia. In 2014, a deal was made that was supposed to see all that were proven to be refugees on Nauru resettled in Cambodia. But as it turned out, the deal only resettled six refugees. I think the big controversy comes from the fact that the deal cost just under $5 million, but an extra $40 million in aid was given to Cambodia in the same period. So it is considered to have cost in the tens of millions.
0: Then we have our deal with the US, which was our most successful. So it began in 2016 with Obama and continued under Trump. Before it was paused due to COVID, 702 refugees had been resettled from Manus Island and Nauru. So, although it's still not ideal that Australia is shirking its responsibility of these refugees, the deal's viewed very favourably as it gives them a chance at a good life. Um, the cost of the deal is a little bit murky, but we can confirm it was a minimum of twenty-two million, and that's not including the cost of flights and relocation, etc. So, it's probably a fair bit more than this.
1: Hmm. We also have Indonesia, and considering the geography, a lot of boats heading for Australia run through Indonesian waters, and Since 2001, our governments have worked together to intercept a few of these boats, with Indonesia taking on a fair few asylum seekers to house in their country, and this is paid for by the Australian government, which has totaled around $388 million.
0: And then, of course, we have the deals with the countries that house our offshore detention centres. So, we started working with Nauru and Papua New Guinea in 2001, when hundreds of asylum seekers were rescued from a sinking ship in what was called the Tampa Crisis.
1: And it's important to note that Nauru is a very poor country. It was overmined of its resources over the last century. So the offshore detention program makes up two-thirds of its gross domestic product, where most of its income is coming from. So we send around $34 million a year via aid, uh, visa fees, and direct payment for the facilities. But as you can probably guess, this isn't the type of place where you can resettle refugees. They have zero employment prospects.
0: Yeah, and a similar situation has unfolded in Manus Island. The province is Papua New Guinea's smallest, and the detention centre provides much needed jobs. Uh, Since 2012, Manus Island has cost Australian taxpayers $2 billion. To put that into perspective, that's more than the transport infrastructure allocations in this year's budget for Victoria, Tasmania, Northern Territory, and Australian Capital Territory <laughs> combined. <laughs> but let's get a bit deeper into all the dollars. Um, how much does this coal cost the taxpayer?
1: So, from 2016 to 2020, offshore processing cost taxpayers around $4.6 billion. This includes all those deals with other countries, turning back the boats, legal costs, all those things, but this number doesn't even include enforcing border protection policies in general. So, for example, an extra $9 million was spent on overseas advertising, warning people not to come to Australia, and an extra $4 billion on onshore detention as well.
0: Yeah, we'll pop a snippet of that advertising on our Instagram because it's kind of darkly hilarious Um, and a particularly disturbing element to this is that the detention centres both on and offshore aren't actually run by the government they're outsourced to private contractors so it's a for-profit system meaning the people who run these facilities find huge financial gains in keeping costs to an absolute minimum which is something Australia tries to steer away from in terms of our prison system because it's been proven to um, encourage abuse but apparently not for detention um, upon the allegations we discussed earlier of abuse and horrible conditions in these centres, the government has pointed to the fact that they don't actually run them and therefore shouldn't be held accountable. To get a grasp on how much profit is involved, the contract to run Manus Island is to believe to be around $1.1 billion. So to
1: put it into perspective, processing a person to live within the Australian community costs around $10,000. Holding them in community detention on Australian shores costs around $100,000, but holding someone in offshore detention costs around $340,000 per person annually. So we've discussed Manus Island and Nauru. Where does Christmas Island fit into all of this?
0: So Christmas Island isn't technically offshore detention because it is in Australian territory, but it's important to cover nonetheless, so here we go. Christmas Island was actually a tourism hub, so if you Google pictures, it has, like, gorgeous beaches and yes. all this lush greenery, <laughs> um, but that reputation was soon tarnished when a detention facility opened up there, and it followed a similar story to the other offshore detention centres, like horrible conditions, riots, etc., and was closed and emptied in 2018.
1: Yeah, and it remained this way until August last year when it opened to house the Bowiella family. You might have seen this on the news, two Tamil asylum seekers who arrived in Australia in 2012 and 2013. They met and they married, they had two children, and they settled in the central Queensland town of Bowiella. But in 2018, they were found not to meet the requirements of a refugee and were going to be deported back to Sri Lanka after living in Australia for... Up to five years.
0: Yeah, and their children were born here as well, who were also being deported, and this was met with huge backlash. You know, they were valued members of the community in Bewila, and the residents fiercely petitioned to have them stay. It's kind of the Australian dream. Um, you know, they met, they had kids, got jobs, etc. And the government couldn't ignore this resistance and literally midway of their deportation flight back to Sri Lanka, they grounded it to Christmas Island and the facility was reopened with 109 employees at a cost of $26 million for four people. For four people. The government still has not made a decision and to this day, the Burila family are still on Christmas Island.
1: So they're wasting more money by keeping them (laughs) there when they can just bring them back.
0: So much Um, wasted money. So
1: much wasted money. (laughs) But we wanted to finish by addressing an issue that should be a headline but hasn't really popped up too much, you know, due to Murdoch Media, so thank you for that. (laughs) Around two weeks ago, more than 500 asylum seekers were released into Australia from community detention, um, but these were on bridging visas, so not really full protection. This group was part of a subsection of asylum seekers that had been brought to Australia for medical care from Manus Island or Nauru. But this was before the 2019 Medivac law was introduced. So when receiving their medical care, they were forced to stay in detention rather than in a hospital. Um, So this is a really vulnerable group of people with difficult medical histories. And it's really unsure whether they received the medical care that they required, given that they were still in detention.
0: Yeah, there's definitely different perspectives to this story, because on one hand, they're being released out of detention, which in a lot of ways is a huge achievement. I mean, that's the goal. But yeah. on the other hand, they're being sent out on temporary bridging visas, which if you want to understand a bit more about visas, our last week's episode covers all of that. Um but with these specific visas, they do have the right to work, but they have no right to study or access to benefits. So there's concerns about how people that have been locked up for six plus years and have no connections in the community will be able to find employment in a less than ideal job market, especially seeing as they can't study and upskill. Um, so this will definitely have a really great burden on charities who are inevitably going to support the cost of housing and food for asylum seekers that don't find work and don't have Centrelink and it's definitely connected with the release of the budget. Um, the Australian government simply doesn't want to pay for these people anymore and is ignoring the responsibility um, of having them in detention.
1: Yeah, let us know what you think. Is this a case of people criticising the government no matter what they do or does the government have a certain duty of care here to make sure that they can re-enter society in a beneficial way?
0: And now it's time for our recommendations. Tanya, hit me.
1: So I've got a collection of poems and short articles written by written by Bushani. He was an asylum seeker from Manus Island, and a few of you might know him. He's he's quite well known because a few of his works have received, received literary prizes and he's done a lot of conferences and talks and he recently just got granted a visa. But his poems from Manus Island um, really look at the conditions of the place and and give you an insight into the environment. He often refers to it as a prison, people sleeping on the floor, people vomiting on themselves. So it's quite confronting.
0: Yeah. And Beirut um, was one of the main asylum seekers that was getting information out of um, detention. He was tweeting um, on his phone yeah, while and, he was in there.
1: Yeah. And he also wrote a book on his mobile phone, which has now been published. So yeah,
0: crazy. Um And my recommendation is an article about a series of interviews SBS did with Navy personnel that worked on Operation Sovereign Borders. And it's really interesting. They open up about the trauma, not only that they were exposed to in that environment, but actually intercepting boats, you know, the things they were forced to do, the things that they saw and just how they realized that it was just not a humane system.
1: Yeah. Like always, we'll leave the links to these in our show notes for you to check out. And that's it from us today. Thank you for listening. We hope you enjoyed this episode. As always, let us know what you think. We're interested to hear your thoughts and any feedback you have as well.
0: In the meantime, follow us for more short, sweet and simple Aussie content on Instagram and TikTok at Australia Explained Pod. All the info is in the show notes for you to check out.
1: And also leave us a review and rating because it would help us a lot.
0: Yes, please. (laughs) Yes, please.
1: But we will see you next week. Bye. Bye.